0: So my next guest is really an interesting character, very creative person. I found her on Instagram, highly articulate. She is two years sober. Her name is Kate Taylor. She's a seasoned writer and an editor. She's worked in London, New York, Rome with companies such as Disney and the United Nations. She's a pretty big voice on inter- Instagram. I found her content really funny and interesting and just really Creative. And so I wanted to reach out and just see how she's doing. I found out she is two years sober. She's gone from drinking wine on a nightly basis to being sober for nearly 24 months coming up this December. So super happy for her. And I was excited to talk to her because I love to talk to people who've been sober just a couple years and let you all out there who are newly sober, want to get sober, who've been sober just a couple years, what that feels like. What does that feel like? I love to touch base sometimes. And dive back in to early sobriety because I've been sober a long time and it gives you that warm feeling again where you remember all those times that certain things happened at certain times and you can reminisce and it helps me stay sober and I'm sure it helps Kate and all of you stay sober. So I appreciate her jumping on today. Without further ado, here is Kate Taylor. Unfiltered with Matt Farnsworth. Well, I... I'm really happy to have you jump on today. You know, occasionally what I do is I see people who are putting some cool content up, fun stuff. I mean, you're always putting up, you know, fun content and, you know, having a good time or, you know, showing that you're having a good time in sobriety. You know, there's down times. We know that. And so I I know that you've got some time in sobriety. You're pretty, pretty new to it, right? Is it like a year or more?
1: It's uh, nearly two years. I gave up the week before Christmas in 21. Yeah.
0: Nice. So you're coming up on the big 24 months Mm -hmm. in about a month and a half. Yep. Very nice. Congratulations.
1: Thank you. I I can't believe it. I mean, I think everyone says that, don't they? People who struggle to get through one day, you look at these numbers and and you just think, part of me feels so comfortable where I am now that I don't think about drinking every day anymore. And it's just who I am. You know, and, and not so much of who I am that I have to go around and tell people. It's just sunken in, it's just become part of me. Like I'm very tall, I have brown hair, I don't drink alcohol. It's that kind of it's just become natural. But another part of me thinks, You won't get through a day without booze, Kate. But yeah, I am and um I'm just incredibly proud of it. But it's it's been it's been a journey. It's been a good journey, actually. And I think that's why my content is very positive, because I was terrified. I thought it was going to be a really lonely, depressing, awful thing to not drink, because I've drunk all my life, my whole adult life. And I was just kind of like, what does this mean? I don't even know who I am. And that's embarrassing. As a woman in her 40s to say, I don't know who I am. I don't have any hobbies. And I'm giving up the one thing, the one consistent thing in my life. Um, but it it has been so incredible, and I think that's why people so often say to me, you know, you put so much positive content, show the real stuff, and I'm like, this is the real stuff, I genuinely am this happy, I do say if I'm feeling down, and that's life, you know, I you would feel down whether you drank or you didn't drink, but I I do wake up with this sense of excitement about the day ahead and I think that's because I, I drank every day and I woke up every morning hating myself and when you've done that for years and years and years and suddenly things change and you don't wake up that way you are positive and I'm still surprised and I'm still thrilled and proud of myself every morning and I kind of have this sort of smug grin and look at myself I mean I don't kind of wink at myself in the mirror or anything cheesy like that but I am properly excited and I do see the world in a much happier way. So I'm glad you noticed.
0: Yeah, for sure. You said some really important things right there. It, it, you said, I didn't know who I was all the way up into my 40s. And, you know, the one thing that you identified with was the alcohol. And that helped you, I guess, know who you are. So it's that powerful a chemical. And it's it's really fundamentally, it fundamentally changes you when you quit because you don't have that chemical anymore to make you feel great and take away all the pain and the hurt. So you kind of have to figure out who you are. And it really does stunt your growth. And when you start using it in your teens, and I, I wonder if it isn't a trauma in itself, just drinking alcohol is traumatic enough that you stunt your emotional growth with that chemical. Do you think that that kind of happened to you and now like for me i definitely figured out who i was after i got sober because i had to deal with those emotions that i had been masking right how did that work for you
1: i completely agree and i used that phrase actually why kind of emotions were stunted because i started drinking at 14 and you know matt i was not one of these people that started slowly i went straight in and, and was downing really strong lager in the parks with my friends at 14 I would drink anytime I could and it it just carried on. And so really, you know, when I say I've been drunk my whole adult life, it's not an exaggeration. When you think about how long alcohol stays in your body, I always had alcohol in my body. (coughs) you know. And you can't progress when your only hobby is drinking and when every night you make a decision of what you're going to do. I mean, I've always had a job. I'm in media. I'm a writer. And I've worked in really great creative industries where I've been. In these great offices they've always been heavily sort of there's a big drinking culture so it would always be pubs for lunch pubs straight after work alcohol was always there and it was always my focus and i look back now and i didn't realize this was happening but i was counting down the hours until i could have a drink and whenever i made plans i made sure it involved alcohol as did my friends and it would have been really odd to sort of say well let's go for a walk in the park with a coffee no it would have just been laughed at no one did that so when you think about that and then you think about what happens to your mind and also the rubbish conversations you have in the pub I mean I look back and I didn't have these deep meaningful conversations that I thought I was having you know and when I decided to do some artwork and I got really drunk and I sat there, you know, in in a studio and did all these paintings. I was like, they're amazing. Look at them. They really express how I feel. The next morning I'd look at them and go, oh my God, throw it away. They
0: suck. Yeah. Yeah. Because
1: you're in this altered state, you know, alcohol really does mess around with your brain and it, it makes you incredibly boring and repetitive. And when everyone else is around you is drinking as well, you're all doing that. So I wasted years of my life and that meant that I wasn't growing because I wasn't interested in anything else. I I literally don't have any hobbies, you know I didn't do exercise. I didn't have do any crafts. I eventually stopped playing the piano, the guitar, I stopped doing my art because quite frankly I'd rather sit with a bottle of wine and watch Netflix, you know, something I'd probably Mm -hmm. already seen. I just couldn't remember. So you don't grow as a person. So I, I completely agree with you. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. And and you get loud when you get drunk. I mean, the pub is so loud. Like when I go to, if I'm near a bar and I'm eating in a restaurant um, and it becomes five, six o'clock and people start rolling in and you stay there for an hour, when they start, they're pretty mild. They're pretty cool. You, You know, they're calm. And by the time they get that second drink in them, all of a sudden they're talking like this and they're pointing at each other and they're laughing out loud and they're obnoxious and they don't even know they're doing it. And then, uh, you know, 30 minutes later, they're getting into a car and driving. Um, It's kind of frightening when you think about it. But, hey, this makes a lot of money for our government. I mean, if we take this away, then what? I mean, what would the police do in the town that I live in if they didn't have alcohol? I mean, this is a university town that I live in. It's driven by booze. I saw a sign the other day, downtown Knoxville, that said, you're in Tennessee Now drink like it. That's what they're promoting to the college kids is you're in this, you're in this state, which is a state that is very, it's well known and it's very steeped in historical moonshine.
1: Yeah.
0: And so there's a huge culture here of, of alcohol down in the university district and the football games are just madness, but the the, talk about obnoxious. I mean, try to go to one American college football game and be sober and it will drive you crazy. My wife was just like, I can't ever do that again. I, 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 I can that. never be around that again. Like, uh, it was, she used to love college football <clears throat> in California, USC, when we lived there. But she's like, never, this is over. And so I, I feel you on so many levels and the conversations you had, right? Pointless. And then you're in this love affair, right? You have this love affair with alcohol. You're at work pining to figure out when you're going to get your first drink. And you know, there's so many things now that you're sober, I'm sure that you're like, yeah, you want to go back and you want to change history, but you're also so grateful like for where you're at right now and all of the gifts that sobriety has given you. And it's just so amazing because our stories are always so similar. I mean, I feel the same way. I, I had a really funky story because I quit drinking for 13 years and then I just picked up. One day in a bar, I was shooting a movie and I just, I always say this in podcasts, I grabbed a shot of tequila and for six months, I went on a bender that destroyed my life. I mean, I just went straight for daily drinking, morning drinking. I mean, it just, it escalated. It progressed so quickly. And so for the last 20 years of my life, I've been sober all but six months. And so it's really an interesting dynamic to see how quickly it, it just it just went. I was just like you. I mean, just every time I start, if I were to ever start again, if you were to ever start again, can you imagine where it would go?
1: I can. And it's terrifying. Um, and I did give up for two months. And then I knew the morning that I woke up, I was going to drink that day. Um, I didn't say it out loud, but on reflection, I knew. The seed had been planted and I, I was kind of like, I'm done. I saw sobriety as a punishment i didn't understand that it was actually a gift and that sounds like a hallmark card but it is so true isn't it but when you look at it as in you are not allowed this this is a good thing this is a treat this is something that everyone enjoys but you can't have it because it's messing you up it's ruining your life so your punishment is to sit around while everyone else drinks it and you're not allowed to so every day is just hell you're going through it thinking I'm not allowed to have this. It still consumes your mind. And that's how I went into that first stint of sobriety. So when I started drinking, I was straight back in drinking one or two bottles of wine a night. And, and it that was it. It was almost like I was trying to make up for this time. It was horrible. It went on for six months until I eventually, you know, I don't know if you've seen, but I recorded myself really drunk on the last night that I drank. And I was sitting alone at home. I'd had a couple of bottles of wine and I just got so emotional and something made me pull out my phone. I'd never done it before. I didn't remember doing it the next morning, but I filmed myself for about 10 minutes crying into the camera saying, this is not you. This is a poison. Stop doing this to yourself, Kate. And I was basically drunk, Kate, pleading with sober Kate saying, help me stop doing this to yourself. And And that changed my mindset. Seeing myself and looking at alcohol, I got really angry with alcohol. Instead of blaming myself like I had done before, I got angry at alcohol and I thought, you are taking everything from me and I'm letting you. The power's actually mine, you're not a treat. What have you actually ever given me? And the answer was nothing, apart from a lot of bruises, embarrassment, shame, you know, I've had awful accidents. I can't believe I'm still alive. I've ended up in kind of heroin dens in downtown Tottenham in London, which are terrifying just because I found someone I wanted to go to the pub with who would stay out later than my friends. And I just yeah. went off on the tube. You know, I've, I've been in some really awful situations. And I thought, why am I doing this? This isn't a treat. And so that time I went into sobriety fighting against alcohols and saying, this is self-care this is the treat. This is you looking after yourself. You're not missing out on anything. And I think it was that, that, that has allowed me to get to this point in my sobriety without feeling like I'm, I'm being denied something nice. Cause I don't want it. Not I don't not need it. I don't want it. I wouldn't, I hope I never drink again because I've seen it for what it is and I can see what it was doing to me. and And now I'm Nearly two years away from it it 's heartbreaking to look back on the person that i 've become
0: Wow, well, Kate, that is uh you know we just don't love ourselves, we just yeah. don't care enough about ourselves, and isn't that interesting that we've beat ourselves up so much and we continue to beat ourselves with this chemical? just just kick our own ass yeah and hand our own ass why? Why do it's we want so to? It's so
1: isn't it? It really is. And, it...
0: <laughs> and, <we>, and self care, <laughs> like, what is self care? I mean, so many people out there, are like, self care is to some people, it's you know, going to Ibiza and getting wasted. You know, that's caring for yourself. But really, I mean, until I started to care about myself and like sort of see those negative thought patterns that kept me there, I never was able to actually work on it. So I think identifying it first. Like you said, in that video, right? You identified it. in fact, if I put this up on YouTube in a short clip, I might cut up like, you know, 10 minutes or something, put it up on YouTube. I would love to put that clip up of you trying to rationalize this with yourself and trying to, I was watching this terrible movie when I was jogging the other day. We have this movie theater in our, in our gym and, uh, it's a huge movie theater. Everybody does cardio in the gym. It's dark. I like it because I can just kind of zone out and watch the movie and it's Halloween. So they're playing this terrible movie and Aaron Eckhart is in it. And he's got this kid that he's trying to rescue that is possessed. And they've got these monitors up and they're showing, you know, when the demon starts to take over the child's brain, you know, <laughs> and these waves yeah. that happen in the brain. And it reminded me of this.
1: It sounds familiar, doesn't it?
0: It does. It does. It's it's like freaky. and And until you, sort of recognize i think that demon and you go real deep and you get you get in the darkness and you start to really expose those yeah. feelings that have kept us trapped you know um you don't really ever learn to heal so was there when you went through it did you start to see the cycles in your life and like how you talked about yourself or you know did any of that kind of happen to you
1: do you know what i think the main thing is what i kind of said about waking up every day and, and not liking myself. My First thought every morning was of shame, of regret, or embarrassment, depending on whether I'd gone out and made a fool of myself, or just the fact I'd had a drink again, or I woke up and I was still in my clothes and I had two young kids asleep upstairs. And it was a Wednesday, and I'm like, what am I doing? You know, why am I falling asleep? I can't remember going to bed. I didn't even do anything last night. I sat in, you know, with my husband or on my own, and I've just drunk for no reason. And, you know, I don't know if you've ever seen those photos of kind of opium dens about a hundred years ago in Thailand, and there's all these people scattered around. They're really old black and white photos, and they're all just completely zoned out. They're completely drugged yeah, up, and I've they come drip fed, and they just stay in this in this state. and And I started to see my life up until that point as me being one of those people I was drip feeding this stuff into me I was thinking about when I was going to have it or I was drinking it or I was recovering from it that was it that was my whole life and once I saw that and I stood back and I saw it and I thought that's why I feel like I can't move I feel like I'm suffocating why do I hate myself you know I'm I'm quite a happy person why am I what is wrong because everything else is right you know I've got a job I love I've got a happy family and i've got all this stuff Yet i'm waking up in this awful kind of state every day and it everything negative that had happened to me included alcohol every single time and i think you've got to be brutally honest i mean people talk about rock bottom and some for some people that's a car accident or you know losing their marriage or you know an, an awful 24 hours but for others it's a realization and as you said it's that dark place realizing suddenly like a eureka moment it's all alcohol's fault and i don't have to be so hard on myself i mean yes and, and other people go but you picked up the drink you can't blame a substance and it's like but it's highly addictive if you tried to put alcohol on the market today i'm sure they would say forget it yeah,
0: you know this
1: class is kill three million people a year highly addictive cost a lot of money people will be violent they're going to go out they're going to you know all of the stuff that we know happens. You, people would go, you're crazy. Why would we sell this stuff? But once you see it for what it is and you eliminate it, and then sort of day by day, I started to realize things were getting better. I was looking better. I was feeling better. I wasn't waking up in a negative. I was starting the day with a positive outlook. People were noticing and saying, you look great. And I thought, well, no one said that for 10 years, you know? And I thought I'd lose all my creativity. I mean, I don't know about you, but for me, I've got a very creative job. And I write, you know, in my career, I've done things like I've written Disney comics and I've also written courses for the United Nations about working in war zones. I've written kids books. I have done. I do a lot of creative writing and I thought, oh, I'll never be able to do this because alcohol kind of gives me that edge. And it wasn't like I was drinking when I was doing it, but because I was always in this kind of recovering or about to drink mood, state of you know play i was i really worried but again the opposite happened and my work has just excelled since i gave up so it's a bit like having a baby every time you start thinking this is getting really boring can you grow some teeth or say something or move or learn to walk they do and you kind of go oh that's exciting the same happened for me with sobriety every month or so there was a new realization there was someone different looking back at me in the mirror and my life changed in these ways that I just couldn't believe. And it was always bad. I could always take it back to the lack of alcohol in my life. So I flipped it over (laughs) if that makes sense. I can't remember the question, Matt. I'm really sorry. I just started rambling on then.
0: No, it's okay. (laughs) I have like, you you said there's about 10 things to unpack in what you just said, right? So- (laughs) It, it, you went, you went, and it's good because I, I get it, I understand it. And first of all, you are more creative now, which is great. I think that's fantastic, and I agree with you. I think alcohol actually holds us back. It's that we, um, as we are so used to using it, that it is just like a crutch that we use, and we think it's making us creative. It's not. We know that. Um, alcohol is, I think the third cause of death or something, it's way up there on the list, but that doesn't include the violent crimes that take place, which, uh, which most up uh, 50% of violent crimes in- include alcohol. So think about that murder, 50% of them include alcohol. The person, the perpetrator or the person being murdered is under the influence. Yeah. And so it's so, <laughs> it's such a terrible chemical and you're right. If it were on the market today and they tried to market alcohol to people, they would say, no, this is not going to work. But what you said about work, I want to go to that because <clears throat> you know, you're know you 24 months sober, just coming up on that, which that's a really important number because post-acute withdrawal starts to fade at that point where occasionally you have those days where you just wake up and you just feel stressed out. I had that for about 24 months where I had this anxiety that would well up. Now that anxiety that we get caught in here in my chest or in my gut doesn't happen as much anymore. Like I don't have it. And I've learned to sort of say, oh, You know, you learn to catch it and you learn to go, oh, that's happening. Um, And especially around work. Now, this is another, this is why I get into the emotional sort of turmoil and the anxiety and the pause, the post-acute withdrawal that happens. When you were, COVID happened, right? So I'm sure you work from home more more than you used to go to the office. And that might have been kind of a godsend for people like you and I, who no longer are around these people in the office in that culture, because people, places, and things are such an issue for alcoholics how do you manage it now you have a big job you know do you still go to functions do you still go into an office how did you transition and what did what were people's reaction that knew you in the work environment and now see this change a lot of people worry they get they, about the stigmatism and they're so concerned about what people are going to think about them when they quit drinking right yeah what do you think that about was- all that how did you handle that
1: I've been freelance now for about 12 years or so. So actually I do work from home. This is my office now. Mm-hmm. So I do loads of Zoom calls and every now and then I'll go and meet clients and I do, I write courses for some big companies and I'll go and see them every now and then. But we chat and alcohol always used to come up in our conversations kind of like, well, look, you're going to need a big whiskey after this. because you know, I'm extending mm-hmm. this bit of work or wait till you hear what happens or, you know, sorry if I'm interrupting your evening wine. And and I started to kind of say, I don't drink anymore. And it was like an instant disconnection from some people because as you say, they instantly thought she's going to judge me and we don't have that banter anymore. And I thought she was one of us and oh God, she's she, she's changed. And it's it's kind of, it's weird. I find it really hard to explain because I have never judged anyone. My husband still drinks. And I would never tell anyone to stop drinking. I certainly don't sit there saying, is that your third glass of wine? You know, we'll be careful. If someone wants to talk to me about alcohol and they want my advice, I'll give it. But there is a stigma attached and I really hope that is changing. And that's why podcasts like yours are so important because people who feel completely alone and like they will never find anyone, they won't be included in any work situations they, they can see, actually, once you stop drinking, you start to notice people, well, in my case, anyway, that I didn't really notice before because you automatically head towards the big drinkers when you're a big drinker because they make you feel less like a boozer because they're drinking at the same speed as you. You feel comfortable. You know they'll be ordering more and more drinks, whereas other people yeah. sit there and have one beer and then they go home. You just think, no, that that's not for me. When you stop, I have certainly noticed colleagues and friends who hardly drink at all. And I thought, I genuinely thought they drank as much as me.
0: Everybody drinks, right? Everybody drinks a ton when you're a drinker. Everyone gets wasted.
1: And they kind of said, well, no, I used to try and keep up with you. But it was quite a thing. But you normally drank two thirds of the bottle um, and then you'd go buy another one because you drank two thirds of the bottle and you felt bad. But then, of course, you would then go and drink two thirds of that bottle. And it's like, well, that was obviously my plan. I knew I was doing that, even if I didn't admit it. But I think it's really hard. I mean, a lot of people say to me, I'm really struggling at work because the kind of the cool crowd don't want don't invite me out anymore and actually it shouldn't happen but it does change your career progression in some ways because people invite you on certain expeditions you know with work because they they think well we've got two days here i'll bring them because they'll drink and we'll have fun and then you're not invited and i, I think that is really hard but i don't know I mean, how, how have you found it
0: you know it's interesting when i was first getting sober i didn't I guess the first time around I cared when I was 27 years old and I quit for 13 years and I kind of isolated myself, but I was also in a a vacuum. I was making movies. I wasn't really thinking about it. Uh, I didn't deal with a lot of people on a regular one-on-one basis. And so I didn't have to think about it much. And once I relapsed, I realized I was living 13 years just white-knuckling that sobriety. I had no emotional I had no emotional value in my life. There was no real emotionality connected to my person. I just sort of went through life unconsciously on a daily basis knowing that I didn't drink and I wasn't going to, and it was very painful. In fact, when I relapsed and went to recovery again, and I never really went to recovery the first time. That was kind of the problem. I mean, I went to AA a couple of times when i first got sober that at 27 years old but i never thought about i never thought i need to figure out what's going on and why i need this booze <clears throat> i just stopped and then you know fast forward 13 years later i drink again and 6 months later i'm crashing a car i'm a mess and i sure wish my life would have been my car got towed i have a drinking problem but that was not me i was not going to be that person and there are people like that and thank god there are Good for you. Your car got towed. You have a drinking problem. You quit forever. Fantastic. You're a very, very low bottom. You don't have a very high bottom. I happen to have a high bottom. So I got sober and then I realized I needed to figure out what the heck was going on with my emotions. Like deep down, like why do I hate myself? What am I saying about myself? And when I started to look at the way I talked about myself, I was like, this is insane. And then I started to think about me caring about what other people thought. And then I started to not care so much about what other people think because they don't really think about you. What I learned is they're never really, they don't think, I used to think people thought about me, you know, and they spent their time spinning their wheels (laughs) thinking about me. It's like, no dude, you're not that important. Nobody cares, man. The second you're out of their sight, you're out of their mind, most likely no matter what you've done. And so I started to care about myself a little bit more. And then, Fast forward, I got, I ended up becoming uh, the director of, of a, a large corporation, director of digital experience marketing at a large corporation. And I do that today. And I have two other businesses that I own. And I'm actually launching a very elaborate, immersive sobriety system and course that I've really never seen in this industry before. And it's just been such a whirlwind. But I do deal with that. I do deal with... It's five o'clock when I have to go into the office and do some filming or I've done some work and we're all going to go, you know, to the restaurant, you know, and we're all going to sit down and everybody's ordering a drink, right? And I just kind of just go with the people that I know don't like to drink a lot or somebody that I know that's sober and I'll sit down right next to them and I'll hang out and we'll chat and I always leave early. Yeah. Like, before it gets ugly, I just slip away. And nobody really notices or cares as long as I turn in that good work, as long as I'm doing the work and I'm like grinding it out and I'm killing it at work. They don't care. They're like, great, just keep doing what you do.
1: It's amazing how you can creep out once someone's had a few drinks and you think the whole room's gonna go quiet and everyone's heads are gonna turn Mm -hmm. and focus on you at the door, kind of halfway out. Nobody cares. happen. Mm -mm. By that time, people are so focused on their drinking and they want to be around other people who are as drunk as them or getting there. Because I promise you, the conversation takes such a nosedive and you don't remember that they've told you three times. They don't remember they've said it. But if you're sober, it's tedious. So actually leaving, you know, and I call it a getaway car, you know, because you can suddenly drive safely and you can drive places, sneak out and get away on your own. And, you know, it, you're so right. People don't notice, but you've shown your face. And I think that's quite important. And I always say to people, if you unless you really don't want to go, in which case, that's fine. But if you feel like you want to go, put something nice on. Go, sit with the people you like and just stay for an hour and a half or two hours and then head off. Because by then, I promise you, there's no proper business chat going on. There are no insightful conversations that are going to build amazing friendships. It will just be rubbish. Pretty rubbish.
0: It wrong. is rubbish. So it's just a joke. Yeah, leave. I just um, got up you know, and left. Mm-hmm. Exactly. It's not a big deal. People, when they start to drink, they just remember the next day. Yeah, he was there. They don't think yeah. about what they said because like you said, they forget about it and they've told you the same thing three times in a row. Yeah, you told me that already. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm going to walk out now, you know, and just leave. And I, I I would hardly even say goodbye. I'd say goodbye to a couple of people that I'm sitting with yeah. at the end of the table and I would just quietly sneak away and people... Most people, if they're drinking, they're just going to be like, they don't look around and go, where did he go? they just like, oh, yeah, well, I didn't see him for a while. They might think about it at some point, but very doubtful. So when you're worried about that, people, if you're concerned about what coworkers will think, don't, because they're not thinking about you. You know, that's something that I think we put on ourselves uh, that gives us anxiety. And why? You know, social anxiety.
1: You're so right. And, you know. We don't like ourselves. We don't like who we are when we're drinking. Most people, I mean, these are, This is. I'm talking about someone like me who drinks too much, did drink too much. You don't like yourself. You don't like how people see you. You don't like the way you act when you're drunk. You know, there is one remedy for this. And it's not only going to make your life better, it's going to save you money. It's going to make you look 10 years younger. You know, alcohol does all of this. And I'm still gobsmacked at the fact i let it go on for so long you know you asked me earlier why did we do it and and i maybe it's because it's addictive maybe it's because i was bored you know i'm sitting in suburbia i'm an adventurer i, I i've chosen to move country within 4 weeks of having the idea and i've gone i'm someone who likes to just do things you know i jump into the deep end and go, I know I'll be able to find my way back. If I stand here and, and look at that watch, I'll never get in. So I always just do things. Sadly, I took that approach with alcohol and I went in hard. I was a ladette. Most of my friends were males, heavy drinkers from, you know, my late teens, early twenties. I was out in the bars till they ended. But what I didn't realise was the long-term damage it was doing to me. You know, I should have stopped once the partying stopped, once we all got proper jobs, people started settling down, I really should have pulled away because it's really sad to look at the person that I had become. Who wants to be known as someone who just sits alone and drinks alcohol in a dark room? I mean, it, it is sad, isn't it? And my heart goes out for the person that I was, but I was trapped in this cycle. And then because you don't like yourself and you say, oh, I just want to escape, you're not escaping anywhere when you drink alcohol. You're literally getting drunk. You're drugging yourself. You don't escape. It, it's one of those phrases that really annoys me now because I used it so often and it was just an excuse. They're all excuses because you want to carry on drinking. And I think it was really important for me to face that fact. You know, that whole idea of escaping was really kind of. It it just made me feel like my old self. I'm escaping somewhere. Alcohol makes my mind get into this kind of place. No, Kate, Mm -hmm. you're drugging yourself. You're sitting in your living room drugging yourself. That's the truth. Mm -hmm. And I think think that was an important shift in my life. Um, And you've got to be honest, if you want to move forward and get away from something like alcohol, you've got to really assess yourself in a kind way, not in a negative way. We've done enough of that to ourselves, haven't we, by that time? You know, but say, why don't you like yourself? Why are you worried about what other people think? You don't like yourself because of the things you're doing, the choices you're making. So make other choices. You know, you've just, it's quite simple when you step back and you imagine giving that advice to a friend or someone you love. That's exactly what you'd say. And we need to get better at saying that to ourselves, I think.
0: Yeah, self-talk. Well, the negative self-talk, we can tell ourselves that we're adventurers and that we're this elaborate creative artist when we've had a few drinks. It's very easy to con yourself because you're conning yourself into thinking that you're this thing, this person that you're not. It's an escape. As you said, alcohol is point blank period an escape from normal life. I personally used it to escape from what I thought was a mundane, normal, boring life and what i learned to realize is that people that are called normies who don't drink or don't have a problem with drinking live that normal life and are very very happy and i started to say well when i got sober why can't i have that life why can't i be happy with my normal suburban life why does it have to be this you know movie star status i used to be in hollywood i used to do all kinds of stuff in Hol- it was it was a very intense life and why do i need that well i don't in fact it's it's a negative type of life it's not a fun life at all. And you can look at things through different lenses, right? So you can say to yourself that I, you know, the lens that the life that drinking and partying and, you know, being in Hollywood and having a great time and every night is an adventure as fun, or you can look at my solid, secure, healthy, happy, you know, life in suburbia is fun. And you just have to rearrange. I think the way you see it, so it's reframing the way our brains think. And believe it or not, the positive aspect of the boring life—it's now posit- It's now a positive, not a negative, for me. If that makes sense, it's like yeah, the bo- that- yeah, the boring life is like, oh my gosh, I never knew that that was the life. That's how it everybody feels-
1: all the time waiting for me.
0: I feel and good. Also, and-, look-
1: and look at the things you're doing, Matt. I mean, you just listed. All the things you're doing, which I'm sure a lot of your listeners is just going, Wow, I need to up my game because this guy's on fire. But you're doing all the stuff because there's for me, there was something alluring in surviving the car crash that was my life. Yeah, I was like drunk, and then I had to recover, I had to apologize. Oh, you're embarrassing, but you're back again. She's still drinking, and and that drama was something that I clearly was addicted to I liked it and it was almost like I can get through this but why should you be trying you know you shouldn't have to recover from a good time and I was having to recover constantly and I got so used to it that I saw that as a symbol of kind of me surviving and me being strong but actually I was putting myself in the danger (laughs) and calling
0: it a good time but is it really a good time
1: time and, and trying to survive it I mean, when you look at it that way, it's not very cool, is it? Because it's not like you're out in the jungle surviving some awful situation where you've been left. You are literally creating the trouble and then dealing with the fallout, you know? Yeah. You know what's cool? It's
0: helping people, like being sober, helping people, making money, providing for your family, being emotionally sober and being there for your kids when they need you. That's cool. Yes. Yes. But until we learn that we're kind of messed up, I think, like I think this all goes back to our past, right It goes back to people pleasing what we've told ourselves, probably trauma that we had in our childhood that I had that I never resolved, that I never dealt with, maybe my mother wasn't emotional enough, whatever it may be. I had to go back and deal with it, and we tend to please people like and and then we get ourselves in trouble as well. Have you ever dealt with that like the people pleasing aspect of things
1: that you know that's it it's a tricky one because i've i have been interviewed before and, and people have asked me about the trauma in my life and and I sort of said I haven't got trauma I was really lucky I grew up in a, in a big house in London we had loads my father was a publisher we had loads of fame I would have like Roald Dahl round for dinner mm-hmm. and Salman Rushdie and Doris Lessing and Quentin Blake my house was just full of these amazing people I, I felt incredibly privileged I had a great upbringing but then when they started asking me about more kind of details about my family and I'm like, well, my mother never gave me love. She never hugged me. She was really strict. You know, my dad drank all the time. Um, He was always out. He was the charismatic party one. Yes. There was always alcohol around. Yes. I couldn't wait until I was old enough so I could drink it. Yes. I said, I never want. And then suddenly, you know, they kind of go, so you say there was no trauma in your life. But actually, you've just said a few things that sound pretty traumatic. And I think that's something that slowly I am starting to look into because, as you said earlier, initially you just focus on your sobriety. And whether you become a hermit or you choose other things, you know, I've done some evening art courses and I go for a lot of walks in the day and stuff. I've changed my lifestyle a lot. But things like that, that are, you know, is going to kind of knock the wind out of you because you've got to deal with it. I I am slowly talking about those things and thinking about the effect they had on the person I became. And it's also, that comes back to not blaming yourself always, you know? And most of the people I know who are sober because they drank so much, they've always blamed themselves and they've always put on this mask of kind of happy, fun person, almost like a kind of circus act. And when I look back at myself, I kind of was that. I was always the one who got the most drunk, who made a fool of myself. And it meant everyone else could always go focus in on Kate. She's made more of a fool of herself than me. And they loved me around for that reason. I was incredibly generous with my money, you know, and actually I'm sick of being that person. I'm actually slightly damaged and I've been hurt in the past and I drank for a reason. And it's time that I kind of look after myself and, and as we said, find out who I really am. And mm-hmm. you, do that, you do that by really putting all the pieces together so they make a whole picture that you're happy with. You can't leave one piece out, can you? Or it just no. doesn't work.
0: Yeah, I've been there. I, it's interesting because I've dealt with the fame thing and I've dealt with, <clears throat> excuse me, the, the, the money. You know, when I was in, in Hollywood, I had a big house in the hills. Well, not big, it was 2,600 square feet, but it overlooked downtown LA. And I was 25 years old and I would just go to the bar. And when you're the guy that goes to the bar and you buy everybody drinks and then you have the after party, well, you're the life of the party. Yeah. Now quit drinking and tell them to come over and hang out. See how quick they want to go to the bar with you and you're not going to pay for the alcohol. Yeah. So I've been there. Like, are they really my friends? And there is trauma in that. There's, I, I heard the term um, moral injury recently. And so the moral injury that happens is 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 not the friend thing, but in Hollywood there was a lot of things that people wanted you to do to secure roles or do things in that fame type world. There's a lot of weird stuff that goes on, and you probably know that. And there's a lot. it's just it's a strange environment. So I'd be interesting to see how I'd be interested to see how you unpack that history of your life and. You know, you thinking that's probably a normal way to grow up, but in reality, that doesn't happen. For that's like one percent of the population that has those people in their home, you know, on a regular basis.
1: Yeah, it it was, and actually wanting to be like those people, and these people are all exceptional. They're they're incredibly interesting. I mean, they would stand and tell stories, and you'd think, wow, I've got these. You know these famous people milling around my house, and they're kind of going, "Hi, hey, Kate, or you can have a quick sip of this," you know, or a few more years yet. And you just think, I just want to be like them. And you're watching them all drink, and whether they drank responsibly or not, I don't know. You know, I was six, I was seven, I was eight years old, but it did have an effect on me, and and being in these places and being almost like a little show child where I, I'd go to these clubs and I'd be kind of the token child who was going around. And it was all this glitz and glamour and everyone drank or took drugs. I mean, I remember being pulled out of toilets in the kind of groucho club in London. And there were just famous people doing lines of coke just there. Mm-hmm. And I was a child who had just gone to the loo. And it was kind of laughed at. It wasn't, shocking you know please don't do that it was like oh gosh did you see who that was and it's just it's still thought of as cool to hurt yourself and that's not right is it that needs to change I think
0: yeah wow yeah that's deep I mean I I guess the people that I looked up to you know in in, in Hollywood when I when I moved there and had a lot of success early on it was very close to doing a lot of big work but that doesn't matter the people that i would look up to you know you would eventually meet them and you'd be like oh my (sighs) really this is you for real like man i I don't know And it, it really shifts your focus but as a child that has to be deeply um impacting on how you're how you view the world and what you think is acceptable yeah and not acceptable in your life and who you let in and who you don't let in. I can only imagine how that feels, but I I know that, you know, 20, 24 months in, you know, have you had any of those symptoms we talked about, which would be like pause, which would be waking up and you're, you've got just stress for no reason.
1: No I mean the the lovely thing about being sober is that every feeling that I feel I mean I didn't know that about the 24 months worth of this kind of anxiety that comes and goes
0: um Mm -hmm.
1: and I was I never drank I never seemed to really get anxiety although I say that and it's a bit like no there's no trauma when I start looking at it people are kind of like that is what anxiety is Kate you know (laughs) but what I have noticed is that every feeling I feel, I know it's genuine. And and so I can look at it and I can sort of say, why am I feeling this? Because before any negative feeling, I would go, it's because I drank so much last night. And I couldn't tell what was real and what was drug induced, basically. There's no other way to say it. I I couldn't pull these things apart because my mind was constantly up and down and my emotions was so flamboyant I had no idea which were the real K and which ones were from this toxic substance so it's very hard mm-hmm. if you don't know what's real and what you're genuinely feeling you can't actually help yourself because you don't know what's going on and I lived like that for over 20 years and I just let it go and I just always said it's due to the alcohol but now if I'm sad and and I really do think all emotions are important. They're there to help you, to protect you, to warn you. They're there for so many different reasons, but it's always to protect you, the person feeling them, for your benefit. So to listen to them and to know they're real, I find hugely rewarding because it's giving me clues as to who I am. And I still feel like a child who's trying to put put these pieces together. I mean, I'm a mother, but I still am working out exactly what makes me tick. And what makes me sad and the people I find scary and the boundaries I'm having to put up now. I've never put boundaries up before. And I was always proud of that. And that's crazy because
0: mm-hmm.
1: you get hurt, you get used. Um, you know, And I'm sure you've experienced that just hearing, you know, what you're saying about your life. People do use you and. and they can determine whether you like yourself or not. By using a few words or saying something about you, and that's horrible. But when you're confident in who you are and you're strong and you go, I've got my feelings, I know what they are. I know why they're there and I know why they're important. So you can just step back, please, because I don't need you near me. You're not doing me any good. And there's something so powerful about being able to say that and being content with being on your own. I love being on my own now.
0: Yeah, the lone wolf is great. I love being a lone wolf. I have all my life. I've always been a lone wolf. Yeah. I've never been able to have a lot of male friends. Um, it's just not in my wheelhouse. And I know that, but I had to accept it. And I also am not really close with, say, my brother. Um, I, I'm pretty close to my parents. And I think that what you're saying is so interesting is identifying those times that we are, you know, able to please people and and hurt ourselves even if it's family, sometimes, you know, I was talking to a client recently and they were saying that they've got this tumultuous relationship with a family member for years. And I brought up this old story about my counselor in recovery who sat me down and I was going through a tough time with my now ex-wife. And he said, it doesn't matter if it's family. I'm going to tell you a story. I've got a brother. And I was like, okay, cool. How's he? And he's like, I wouldn't know. I haven't talked to him in 30 years. And I said, okay, interesting. Why? And he said, well, one day after I got sober, I just realized that the relationship wasn't a good relationship for me. And even though it's my blood relative, it's just not a good relationship. And I told him, I just don't think we should talk ever again. And the brother agreed and they never spoke again. And he said, it was one of the best decisions I've ever made because nothing but toxicity ever came out of that relationship. And sometimes it's so hard to do what you have to do in sobriety. It's so hard. And as we navigate through it at 24 months, you're going to start to see more and more patterns, uh, you know, that, that you're going through that this happens, like it happened to me like 24 months, 36 months, I started to really see these patterns. And then at five years, I was like, wow, um, you know, you really it really opens up in, in, that, in that time frame for me. But, you know, do you do you think that there's things in your life like that? you're looking at now and you're going wow you know maybe this relationship is not what i thought it was or maybe that relationship and it's hard to admit because these are close relationships you know but how am i going to deal with that you know
1: absolutely And, and almost you reassess every relationship because you become relationships become so much more important to you and it's not about quantity anymore it's not about being popular, getting invited to certain parties, having, throwing these amazing parties or doing the fun things or getting invited to this launch or this premiere. It's not about that anymore. Mm-hmm. It's about having people around you that you totally trust and who you know care about you and have your back. And when that happens, you really assess every relationship. I, I certainly do, and not in a weird way. My friends don't come around for Africa coffee and I get out my notebook. You know, start asking the questions. <laughs> but, I, but I look at it and I look at the relationship with my husband and I think, and I've said to him, you're a drinker. Mm-hmm. I actually find it disgusting, the smell of alcohol. So when he has a drink, he sleeps in the spare room, you know, but it's like, well, where's this going? I don't think I want to be married to someone who drinks a lot in 10 years. I have told him that and I said, I don't want to just bring this out of the air and then just sort of say it's over. I don't like alcohol. So I'm telling you now that it's a concern of mine. And it's like that, I'm taking baby steps, but I kind of want to clear the decks and I want to have the people around me who, who I, every time my phone rings, I want to be happy to answer it because I know it's going to be someone I genuinely care about. And I'm definitely moving towards that place. And, And I've got much fewer, many fewer, much fewer people that I speak to often, but I absolutely adore them and I know they've got my back. And, and I've got more than enough. And I think that's something that you really come to realise. You d- you only need one or two people in your life that you love and that who love you back. That is enough. You don't need to surround yourself with these people that confuse you and who are toxic and who make you question yourselves. Why would you do it? It's very hard to be grown up enough to say we're better off apart, even though that's the harder option. But in the long run, you will be so much happier, won't you? I mean, that sounds like that's what you've had to do. And I've certainly gone through phases of my life where I haven't spoken to my mother. You know, I phoned her up to tell her I was pregnant and I hadn't spoken to her for a few years, but I just thought this is, this is hurting me. It brings me no joy at all. And and so, so be it.
0: Yeah, I've been there. It's, it's not the reaction you want. It never will be. We can try to manifest something with this relationship that we want, but it if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. And I think that's what's so hard to realize. And a lot of times when you realize it, it's it's often gone on too long and, and you kind of wish you had stopped a lot sooner and now your life is so much better and you're like, Well, oh, I wish I could get that time back, and I didn't spend that with that person. But you know, a story about me and my wife now. She drank a little bit when I first met her and I was sober but it was just a glass of wine here and there. And, you know, eventually she saw my sobriety and she just, I never, I never said don't drink. I didn't preach. I never said, you know, you you shouldn't do this. I mean, I kind of would be like, "Uh, I don't, you know, like, yeah, I don't want to make out right now after you've just had a glass of wine. (laughs) But, but I kind of just was like, just relaxed about it. And eventually sure enough, you know, one morning she woke up after having Way too much wine at Thanksgiving, and she was just anxiety ridden. I remember her trying to like prune some uh, trees out back, some and, and she, some flowers, and, and she just looked upset. She looked really stressed out. She said, "I'm just done," and that was her moment, right? And that was, oh my goodness, she's been sober over three, over three and a half years, almost four years. So she just stopped. So there is light at the end of that tunnel. You know, I don't know the details of your relationship, but it is hard to be with someone that drinks. It's really, really, really hard. And and I know that people that drink the same amount of alcohol often stay together. People that don't, there's a higher likelihood that the relationship may not work out, which is a tough.
1: It's tough, but it's life, you know, and, and and I think it's important to accept that. Otherwise, you will be unhappy. And it's really interesting what you just said about by the time you realise that you've gotten to that stage with people, it's often too late. It's been going, or not too late, but it's been going on for a long time. And really, you should have pulled back. That's one thing I have definitely noticed is that my fil- my bullshit filter mm. is so much better now. And as soon as I see any signs of someone being a narcissist or being untrustworthy, they're out of my life. And I don't do it in a nasty way. I will explain, I I have a problem with this. It doesn't make me feel comfortable. Good luck, and that's it. And I feel really comfortable doing that now. And that has saved me so many relationships that would have ended up badly, friendships, and I know they would have. And I think that's one of the real joys of sobriety is that I'm confident enough to say that because I'm not constantly looking for my next drinking partner. I want genuine relationships, connections, friendships. I want to grow. I'm almost desperate to grow because I've been in this stunted mental place for so long. I'm kind of hungry for life. And that's why I'm so positive, I think, because I'm so grateful to myself for getting me here, and for giving me this chance that I'm... I've just got my eyes open and everything looks better, smells better, tastes better, sounds better. It's just wonderful, the opportunity that I've given myself and I, and I don't want to waste what I have left.